Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, thanks for stepping out. We appreciate you being here. If you're joining us online, also welcome. So recently, California has been inundated with rains, and I was, I don't know what I was reading. I was reading one article about it, and as they do, they, they focus on a, a family, specifically what's going on. And this guy said this coastal vacation home in California had been in their family since 1957. He used to visit his grandparents there had passed on. He was planning to pass on kids. He had hosted his grandkids there. And on this particular day, he went up to see the rains push against this house and knock it off its foundation. And he literally watched it go right down the street to where? Who knows? But he was sure that it was just a matter of time before the water disintegrated that house that had been in his family more than 50 years, had been in three generations and was plans for more. Yeah, it reminds us. Sometimes uh, circumstances can push hard, can't they? And, and do we have any hope there? Or, or, or are we just kind of at the mercy and hope it doesn't push too hard? Can, can we be pushed right off our foundation and float away? I want us to think about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel 29 and 30, we're going to go through these two chapters wrestling this, with this question, where can we turn when circumstances overwhelm us? Where can we turn when circumstances overwhelm us? Now, if you haven't been with us, let me catch up to speed real quick. For the last time, season, we've been in the books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, this is Israel's transition from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. What is particularly driving the people is the need for security. They're in the promised land, but they keep getting breached by opponents, Philistines, and others. And they think, we need security, so what we need is we need a king, because that's what everybody else has. And God speaks through the prophet Samuel and says, that's a bad idea. What you need is me, and the people say, no, 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 we need a king. Okay, God says, you're stubborn. I'm going to give you the answer to your prayer. You can have your king. What you're going to find out is you need me. So the first king is a guy named Saul. He looks good. He's a head taller than everybody, and, and he gets anointed, and he, and he misses the memo. The words are chosen, you're a prince and you're a ruler, but they don't use the word for king. In other words, your, your king does not have absolute autonomy. Your kingship operates under God, and, and Saul missed that. And a couple times, he just did his own thing when he should have been listening, and God said, I'm moving on. And he picked another guy, David, dropped the giant with the rock, that David. And uh, he said, you're the next king. And Saul, I don't know if he knew that David was anointed king, but he knew David's is stock on the rise. Popularity is going up. And so he's threatened by David, and he's trying to kill him. It's a 10 to 13-year process. We're coming near the end of that. Two weeks ago, we saw David, though at times he had showed great faith, give in to fear, and say, yeah, I'm not going gonna, I'm I'm gonna to perish at Saul's hand. And he goes and he lives with the Philistines, the, the opponent. And that puts him in some compromising circumstances. Most of all, he's in, when we left, he's in battle formation to fight against Israel in a battle that will take Saul and his life. Well, well, last week, we didn't resolve that. What we did is we jumped over to Saul and said, how's he doing in this mess? And Saul's not doing well at all. Early in his rule, he had banned spiritists and mediums to get into the occult. And he was so desperate because he didn't hear from God. He, he got a, a medium himself. He wanted the medium to conjure up Samuel. So he got the spirit of Samuel, the prophet who had died. And Samuel said, hey, 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 got some bad news. Within 24 hours, you're going to be joining me. You and your sons are going to be dead. So that's where we are. 
And we'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 29, verse 1. Here we go. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands. This is a big army. And David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. So you got that right. David is lined up with the Philistine army. In fact, Achish has gotten such trust in David. He said, I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. So we got the Philistines lined up. At the very back is Achish the king and his new bodyguard, David. But some folks have some problems with that. Verse 3, then the commanders of the Philistines said, oh, wait, whoa, 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 what are the Hebrews doing here? I mean, that's our opposition. And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, <laughs> who has been with me these days, or rather these years? We found it's a year and four months. I, found, I have found no fault with, in him from the day he deserted to me to this day. But the commanders, they ain't, they ain't buying this. Verse 4. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make this man go back, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him, and do not let him go down to the battle with us. Or in the battle, he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Why? Would it not be with the heads of these men? With us. Because, man, he served way back in the day. He served that God. Verse 5, is this not David, of whom they sing in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Ten thousands of who? Ten thousands of Philistines. Ten thousands of us. I don't feel good about having this guy in our rear guard. I don't have much military experience, but that makes a fair amount of sense to me. Verse 6, Achish. And Achish called to David, said to him, as the Lord lives, you have been upright. Well, Achish, you think David has been upright. What David has done is run a good ruse. Remember, he was attacking enemy territory, but telling Achish, I'm really attacking settlements of Israel. So he's fooled, Achish, is what he done. A question, is that who we want to be as God's people? We're good at fooling people. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say differently. He'd say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But David made a decision out of fear and not in faith, and he was put in compromising circumstances, so he had to resort to deception. And you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army are pleasing in my sight, for I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Oh, Achish, if you only knew how evil David had been. Nevertheless, you're not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. <laughs> now, therefore, return and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, but what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? That's an ambiguous phrase. My Lord, the king, Achish is thinking me. For David, my lord, the king, is God Almighty. Dual meaning for a word. That's deceptive. That violates Jesus' saying of let your yes be yes and your no be no. But that's what happens when we do things not in faith. Verse 8, but Achish replied to David, I know that you're pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he must not go up with us to the battle. 
Now then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who have come with you. And as soon as you have arisen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David arose early, he and his men to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. God worked through the commanders of the Philistines to be gracious to David. David made a bad decision. He made a decision in fear. God can't sustain me. I'm going to go live with the Philistines. It got him into all kinds of trouble. He's in battle formation against Israel in the battle that will kill Saul. And David himself had said earlier, who am I to raise a hand against God's anointing? David, you're in a bad way. God was gracious. You know who I think that's good news for? You and me. Because <laughs> I don't make great decisions all the time. And I have found over 40 plus years to be God to be gracious with me. So we're in the process of transitioning from a, a adult pastor's ministry in Greeley, Colorado to a senior pastor position in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And I, I'd been up front. And so I asked my boss, a senior pastor in Greeley, Pat, anything you ought to do, you think I ought to do before I accept this? He said, Andy, I think you ought to call the district guys in Phoenix to see what they know about this church in Sierra Vista. I said, that's a good idea. But I, honestly, I forgot. I accepted the position on my way, and I thought, oh, man, I should have called. So what I decided to do instead is I called down to Sierra Vista, and I just picked the evangelical free church out of the group, and I, and I get the pastor on the phone, and I said, um, I'm new, coming to town, looking for a church. I'm an evangelical. Can you tell me anything? And he was great, and he started telling me about the church. Well, and he, he says, what, what line of work are you in? I don't, I don't know. Because I didn't want to say, I'm a pastor. He said, well, we got a lot of construction going on. If you work construction, well, maybe. Well, if you know me, I'm terrible at construction. That's not. So he starts giving me the lay down on the churches. And he said, you know, there's two big ones. And so if you like a bigger church, go there. But he said, I'm part of this pastor's group, which I would become a part of. And there's this church and that church and this church and that church. And at the end, he said, oh, by the way, there's one church you absolutely want to avoid. It's toxic. It's Sierra Vista Baptist Church. Where do you think I was hiring on? Sierra Vista Baptist Church. Oh, man. I forgot to do my due diligence. I was just deceptive in a call I made. Now I've got some information that makes me think this isn't a good idea. What should I do? Well, I decided we're, we're going. Um, and God used that in my life. There were some challenges for sure. Um, but as I'll talk later, he, he was gracious with me, even in that. And I'll come back and talk about that as we go through this message. Um, that's one of many things I could pick where I didn't do well, but God was gracious. Maybe, maybe you've got some decisions. You think, yeah, I didn't, I, didn't do, I didn't do that one very well. Yeah, good news. Yeah, we may suffer consequences, but God is gracious. David's experienced God's grace, but he's going back to another crisis. Here we go. Chapter 30. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. Quick segue. 
In 1 Samuel 15, one of the places Saul failed is he failed to completely wipe out the Amalekites under God's direction. And we think, why would God order that? Because God is just, and at some point, sin reaches a point where God's got to deal with it. What we see here is the Amalekites are wicked people. They're raiding people. They're burning dwellings. And they're, they're, they took these people hostage. The reason they didn't kill them is they're going to sell them for slaves. The Amalekites are not good people. And God is gracious and he's merciful and he's kind, but he is righteous and he is just and he will judge. He's not willy-nilly. So sometimes we wonder why is God the way he is? Because he's perfectly just. He's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly gracious, merciful, and kind. Verse 3, when David and his men came into the city, behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. So David feels it. His family is gone too. But David's got bigger problems. Verse 6, moreover, David was greatly distressed. Why? Because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one, because of his sons and his daughters. You were the leader. You were supposed to protect us. And where were you? You were in battle formation. You were doing this ruse. And man, you were in good with Achish. But he's got you lined up. And meanwhile, there's no one to protect us. And my wife and my kids are gone. And I'm holding you responsible. I got a stone right now. Consequences for choices. What does David do? Here's what he does. End of verse 6. But David... Strengthens himself in the Lord his God. These are horrible circumstances for David. But he's going to God. Why? Because he believes God is good and God is sovereign and those things will come through. That doesn't guarantee an outcome. But David, in the midst of these circumstances, finds strength in God. We're talking about why did God... Choose David and not Saul. And there's, David's a flawed character. And trust me, we're going to see worse flaws than we've seen as we go through into 2 Samuel. But here's what David could do that Saul didn't do. In a moment of crisis, he went to God. Saul either was unwilling or unable to do that. In a moment of crisis, I kind of want to fix it. Do you want to pray? No, I want to fix it. Saul's first big mistake, we won't tell you, was 1 Samuel 13. Samuel said, I want you to wait till I show up to offer the sacrifice. Well, the battle formation was in place, and Samuel didn't show up according to Saul's time, and he saw people slipping away, and he thought, man, I just need to offer the sacrifice. And Samuel said, the kingdom is stripped from your hands, Saul, because you wouldn't go to God. So you either go to God or we'll handle it on our own. David decides, I need to go to God. And, and remember, he, he failed. We didn't see that. First Samuel 27, there was nothing about David going to God. Some of you have been away from God, and you're thinking, when, when, when will God going to be? Right now. Right now is the time to come back to God. I grew up with a dad who was really, could get really angry. And when he got mad, it's kind of like, whoo, whoo, we need to back off and give him, you know, just kind of lay low instead of the way. And I take that attitude into my relationship with God. I mess up. I think, whoo, I better, better give him some. That's not biblical. 
That's not the God of the Bible. The God says, come, that God says, come back right now. And that's what David's doing. David hasn't been doing well here, but he's going to God. Verse seven. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring the ephod. The ephod means we're going to seek God. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue the band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue, for you will surely overtake them and you will surely rescue all. Why don't you just do it? Because David is learning. I need to seek God before I, I've been lurching out, making bad decisions. I'm going to seek God. So verses nine and 10, off they go. So David went. He and the 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 were too exhausted to cross the brook. Besor remained behind. We'll talk about that at the end of the chapter. So they're on the way, they're in pursuit. Remember, all their wives, all their children were taken. Time is of the essence. But God has said, you pursue them, you'll overtake them, and you're going to rescue all. David has that assurance. Verse 11, now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And gave him bread, and he ate, and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. Then his spirit revived. Why? For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're on a mission. Time is of the essence. Who knows how long their wives and children have. And they meet this foreigner, and they give him water, and they give him food. They, well, why are they doing that? Because they're obedient to the law of God. In the Old Testament, God is very clear with the widow, the orphan, the sojourner or foreigner, and the poor, you show kindness. God's heart is for the vulnerable. And their, the urgency of their mission doesn't change that. My wife and I have been overseas missionaries. We know what it's like to be in another culture where you don't understand the customs and maybe you're not picking up all the language. You're vulnerable. This is a foreigner. You're vulnerable. You treat the foreigner kindly. God also said you'll reap what you sow. And David is going to reap the kindness he has just shown. Verse 13. Then David said, to whom do you belong? And where are, young, the young, where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. Left behind to what? To die. We can't slow down for you, pal. You're just a slave. We made a raid on the Negev of the Chethrites and that which belongs to Judah on the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. That's David's hometown. David said to him, verse 15, will you bring me down to this band? And this guy says to David, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will bring you down to this band. Why would this foreigner believe David? Because David's a foreigner to him too. I'd suggest because David showed kindness. David said, even though you're different, I'm going to feed you. You haven't had food and water for three days. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you water to drink. Oh, and so build the trust. Oh, you, you, you need to know where your family, your wives and your children are. I can take you there. I trust you. Just, just don't sell me out to my master. So David seeks God, gets God's direction, 
And he gets a divine coincidence. <laughs> Somebody shows up who can show him the way. I mean, I mean, what a coincidence, huh? Here's what I find out when I'm praying and seeking God. I get a lot more coincidences. I get a lot more coincidences. So let me double back to Sierra Vista. We felt like God was leading us, even though we had different information, and we went. And these guys who are part of the pastor's group, the first week, they're knocking on the door. Hey, hey, we got a Tuesday morning prayer. Tuesday afternoon prayer. Would you join us? I will be there. I didn't miss one of those while I was there. That Tuesday afternoon prayer thing morphed into a Thursday morning breakfast that went from about 8 to noon. All the small church pastors. These became my friends. They were God's provision. And I guess my predecessor had given them a bad news about the church. These guys were on a mission. We're going to take care of this newbie. We're going to take care of this new guy. You know, if ever I'm having a bad day in the office back there and I need a reason to smile, when I left, they gave me the message, which is Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. And they all wrote a note on the front jacket or the back jacket. If I need a reason to smile, I open that and read those notes. God was gracious to me through those people. They didn't have to be kind to me. They made a decision before they knew me, before they showed up, whoever the new guy is. We're going to take care of them. I'm so grateful. That's one of many kindnesses that God orchestrated in my life. And I trust he will with you. Uh, verse 16 and 17. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the Philistines and from the land of Judah. I don't have much military training, but that seems like a really good time to attack. When the other group is celebrating and they, their defenses are down. And so David did. David slaughtered them from twilight until evening the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. David wasn't making particularly good decisions. And he'd worked himself into some pretty bad circumstances. And those circumstances had the potential to overwhelm us overwhelm him but as we look at David's life we have a lesson reinforced where can we turn when circumstances threaten to overwhelm us we can always no matter where you've been with God we can always turn to God who graciously responds to the cry of his people always turn to God who graciously response to the cry of his people. Now, I can't guarantee an outcome. So I am praying that they're going to get better. I'm going to get, there's going to be a healing in this world. No, I can't. But I can tell you there is a God who is gracious and good and kind and will hear and will act according to his will in your life. Well, Andy, what if, what if I got a lot of bad stuff, bad baggage? I mean, yeah, yeah, David, David hadn't been making good decisions. And God responded. So what is it in your life that you think, oh man, this one's it's about to push me off, push my house off the. Would you take that to God?
Well, Andy, you know, I, I mean, I haven't been in church a long time. I opened my Bible. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. I, I know, I, I get you. Neither have I. Neither have I. At various points in my life. But God says, right now, because of the blood of Jesus, you can come back to me. And I'll graciously respond. Would, would you come to him with that which threatens to overwhelm you? So we finish out the chapter. There's a little bit of a disagreement in verses 21 to 25. They've got, remember, they got the spoil they recovered from their city, but, but the Amalekites had been raiding the Philistines too, and they had a whole bunch of other stuff. So they got a whole bunch of loot from this thing. And the 400 who went said, hey, the 200, they get their wives and their stuff back, but they don't get any more. And David said, no, 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 no. This is God's victory. It's a gracious God. We're going to split this evenly. And then David went on to say, you know, there's some other cities, and this is in 27 to 31. There's some other cities there in southern Judah. We're going to give some of this away. We're not going to hoard it all of ourselves. We're going to give some of this away to God's people. And in doing that, David is reflecting the heart of the father who is generous, but he's also practicing good politics. Because he saw will die next week, and then David will be up, at least in the southern part of Israel. There'll be a northern part who's going to resist. David's building a coalition here. He's doing the will of God. He's practicing the values of God, but he's also winning favor with people. It's funny how it goes sometimes. It's not why we do it. But God uses our kindness and goodness to build favor with others. So we've been talking about a gracious God who looks beyond our failings. And God's grace and his mercy is ultimately shown in Jesus. See, all of us rebelled against God half. God, you go your way, I'll, do, I'll go my way. We do our own thing. The Bible calls that sin. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came according to the plan of God and lived the life we we're supposed to live. Complete submission to the Father, right up to the point he was nailed to the cross in a mockery of a trial. But according to the plan, he rose again on the third day to forgive your sin. And if you'll trust him, he'll forgive your sin and he'll give you that access to God. Even though you have a bad past or I have a bad past, Jesus said, I give you access. And in overcoming death, he showed he's capable of dealing with whatever you're facing. So in this particular sequence, Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb four days. He's gone to see both sisters. Both sisters said, Jesus, you've been here. My brother still be alive. Jesus, I mean, roughly said, do you believe in me? Oh, yeah, we believe in you. And so there's a little bit going on. Jesus weeps when he comes to the tomb. And people say, oh, I don't know. He healed the sick, but he couldn't heal this guy. And then Jesus said, tell you what, I, I want you to roll the, 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 the rock back. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's been in there four years. He's one of the sisters. He's going to smell bad. He said, what did I tell you if you believed in me? to the kingdom of God. Right before he calls Lazarus out, he prays this prayer. And I think it's important for you and I to see it. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now catch this. I knew that you always hear me. So why are you praying, Jesus? But because of the people standing around, I said it. Why? So that they may believe that you sent me. They might believe that I have power over everything, including death. They might believe that even though this guy's been in the tomb four days, I can say the word and he'll come out. 
I heard one guy speak on this. He said, it's a good thing he specified Lazarus on that because we don't know how many people would have come out of that tomb. But the question is, you believe he has power over Lazarus' deal. Do you believe he has power over your deal? You think he can handle that? Or was that then? Jesus said, I'm doing this so that you might believe. He's calling us to trust, to believe in him. He's good. He rose from the dead. He's got power over what you're facing. Will you go to that gracious God that he might work for his will and his glory in your life? John Ortberg is a favorite author and pastor of mine. Uh, he shares this story about his friend Jimmy. Jimmy was a decathlete. Ortberg and such live out in the coast of California. And uh, Jimmy tells a story that he was out with his son, and they got caught in a riptide. And they're trying to swim their way in and can't. And all Jimmy can think about is, my wife is going to have a double funeral. Because this thing's going the wrong way. Well, Jimmy had a cousin who was with them who knew what was going on and saw what was going on. And so he kind of swam out to where he knew there was a sandbar. And the riptide's pulling him out this way. And as they were being pulled out, you know what he said? He said, you come to me. Instead of fighting that riptide, you let that riptide bring you to me. Okay, you know where I'm going with this. You got some stuff going on and you're fighting it. Jesus is out there saying, you, you come to me. You let those circumstances bring you to me. This is the one who said, come all who are heavy laden and weary, and I'll give you rest. You, you come to me. With the stuff you got going on, will you come to Jesus? Will you let that riptide push you to him who's waiting? See, when circumstances overwhelm us, we've got a God who graciously answers his people. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this word, this example of David. Flawed, for sure. For sure. Making bad choices? Yep, for sure. Facing some tough consequences? Yeah, he was. But you hadn't given up. You were available to him. Lord, did we take heart from that? And we would ultimately look to Jesus, the ultimate display of your grace and your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. And those things that are driving us, would we let them drive us to you? Lord, we need you. We love you. And, and we get messed up. We get confused. We try and handle it on our own. Would you convince us again this day that we need to let these circumstances bring us to you? I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.